welcome to Movie Film Studio, a film podcast where we unravel and re-ravel the best that Hollywood has to offer. I'm Isaac. And I'm AJ. And uh, this week we took a look at the Ghostbusters, the 2016 Mm -hmm. remake of the 1984 classic. Yes, indeed. Directed by Paul Feig. Feig. And starring Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig. And and the rest of SNL. And the rest of SNL. But before before we get uh, too deeply into that, Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to This Week in Trailers and have a look at uh, some of the new trailers that have come out over the last week. We might want yeah. to start with Jumanji Watch, which Jumanji is Watch, a yes. recurring feature. Uh, is there any Jumanji news, AJ? No. All right. So what trailers did we watch instead? So this week we watched uh, the latest from uh, the director of uh, Ex, Ex Machina, Machina? Uh, Annihilation, based on the novel Annihilation. Is I it called it? I, I, I don't know, yeah. actually. It might be called something different, but it is based on the best-selling novel yes. as the title cards in the uh, trailer would have us believe. Yep. And this is a science fiction horror, I, I guess. Sure. Uh, starring Natalie Portman. Uh, not discount Natalie. Not discount. Full, full price, price Natalie Portman and, and full priced Oscar Isaac. Exactly. Um, and uh, it's... I'm not sure really what's happening in the I trailer, mean, but it seems like nature is doing some weird things. Weird. It's the, the first look that we get at the trailer. Normally they don't give too much away. It's yeah. lots of very sort of snippets, cuts and pieces. But you're right, it is. It looks very futuristic. Mm. Um, Ominous, mysterious. Almost like there's a alien force which has invaded and yeah. is, is subtly changing the world around it. And yeah, people have gone yeah. to investigate this force in the jungle somewhere mm. or the forest and... Uh, things have happened to them. Things yep. are happening to the world around them. We don't get it, too much story. There's it, just some sort of relationship between yeah something Natalie about Portman nature. And Oscar Isaac stops Natalie Portman from answering questions as well. She can't. Yeah, she doesn't anything. know. She it's does like, nothing. Uh, was it made of carbon? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. know. Did you communicate with it? Uh, I don't know. It noticed me. Yeah. Uh, um, there's deer. There's like deer in there with, yeah, with flowers, flowers on their antlers. And then uh, Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman. Seem to get it on yeah. at Look, some point. <laughs> there's definitely I guess that's some what nature passionate. does. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird trailer to be looking at because I mean mm. we have so little information about the film. I'm sure people who've read the best-selling book best-selling will book, yeah. yep. pick more out of the trailer than we were able to. But to be honest, it, it just looks compelling. It looks interesting it does, in, yeah. and obviously with the you know the pedigree of um, Ex Machina, which I hear is very good. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe yep. we'll do it one week. Who knows? Yep. Um, you have the the sense that it might actually be a an entertaining film. Yeah, it has a sort of a style similar to um I want to say Arrival, um but uh, much more grim, much darker in tone and very spooky. How do you think they're going to fuck up the film though? Like Ooh. I mean it it looks great. <laughs> it looks great in the trailer. <clears throat> what do you reckon is going to be in the film which makes it just un- an unwatchable mess? Uh, Al Gore will pa- will cameo <laughs> at some point and talk about how it's all climate change's fault. It's it's annihilation, a very, very inconvenient it's, truth. Yeah, I look, if we're going to go with that, then it's probably related to Geostorm from, last, yes. <laughs> uh, from, from the last podcast. We'll, we'll find out soon that it's uh, produced by Roland Emmerich yeah, yeah, and it's really yeah. just another No, not even, it's just, the just world. someone who was on set oh, yeah. on Independence Day. Yeah, it's, it's point. the guy who took the producer of Independence Day for a walk <laughs> around the studio yeah, is yeah. now from the guy, the executive producer of Geostorm yeah. of Independence yes, Day. Yes, it's the film Annihilation based on the book The Day the Earth 
did stuff yes. that isn't the same as yesterday. It's interesting. It's really... oh, look, I, I still, you know, as much as you like that, I think it actually it has a bit of a Princess Mononoke vibe to it that I can I, see. I got that too, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't, don't want to criticize it. We're not going to make I, too much fun of this film because it looks... It, <laughs> it actually does looks look... Cool. It looks worthwhile. Yeah. Again, we do this week in trailers with... Uh, and we've been doing what for four weeks. <laughs> Obviously, none of the films we've had a look at have had a chance to be released yet. No. So, there's actually... There's a good chance that some of them will be horrible, some of them will be good. Yep. I guess uh, only now, time will tell. Now, which camp are we putting Geostorm <laughs> into... Geostorm is going to be a rocket ride to great. insanity. Oh, it's going to be it's fantastic. Be great. Box office success. Uh, the second trailer we watched yeah. was a Netflix original film called Bright. Yeah, so I suppose we can't expect all of these to be cinematic releases. The, the nope. landscape of movie releases is changing, and we mm. obviously have uh, Netflix as a big contender for their own original films. Mm. And this one is the, the film, as you mentioned, Bright with, uh, with Will, Will Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah, And not his son, either. No, first time in a while he's been on None of his family Jayden. members are anywhere to Jayden's be seen in this too film. too busy on Twitter making Probably. incredibly bizarre remarks. Yep, and the other one's making music. Yeah, she whips her hair back and forth. She um, does. So Joel Edgerton in this one as well, which... Is it Joel Edgerton? It was one of the Edgertons. It's, a, it's an Edgerton. An Edgerton. Yep. Um, completely unrecognisable because he's an orc or a goblin or something like this. Yeah, so we should probably explain. If you haven't seen this trailer, go and see it because it's it's... It's interesting, and I don't know what to think about it, but um, it's set in what looks like contemporary L.A. Yeah. Uh, Will Smith plays a kind of grizzled cop, uh, but it's a world where elves, orcs, and other magical Fairies, creatures yeah. exist. And I mean, we don't really get a sense if they've always existed in this world or whether it's a well, reasonably I... recent revelation that they do exist and the period of coexistence is a struggle a bit district nine ish yeah, yeah, i, I kind of yeah, felt like yeah but done in such a way that it feels real it actually it feels like a cop story it's mm. i think the guy who directed it directed end of watch he and did it and feels very much like it's what, uh what training did... day cop car yep. um cop buddies driving around but with this uh, huge level of grit and tension that yeah. you wouldn't expect in a film that deals so blatantly with these fantastical elements and uh, what else did he direct by uh just I actually, I actually curiosity. don't remember. You don't remember. It, no. I remember it coming up and going, "Oh no!" But what was it coming? Uh, well, Will Smith was in it. It's related to the DC world. He directed Suicide Squad. Yes. The David Ayer, I think his name uh, is. That was. That's all right. Let's, let's just let's figure- move on. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the trailer looks. I, I, I personally, as I said, I don't know how to think. I don't. Well, that that came out wrong. I don't know what to think about this one. Uh, because it's a really it's a really bizarre kind of concept. This feels like a high intensity, um, very dramatic cop drama. It has yet- these really um, strong overtones of yeah, racism yeah. and um, acceptance, and all these these very uh, interesting hot button topics yeah. that you wouldn't expect to be dealt with in a in a film like this. Yeah. But as a as an allegory, is a really interesting way of talking about racism. By using, you know, the the partnership of uh, Will Smith and an orc. Yeah, and Will Smith is character. playing a human. I should also yes, yes. also um, remark, uh, and it's really odd because you then you see shots of elves in suits and and business attire going about their day. Uh, Joel Edgerton, as as uh, mentioned, is unrecognisable in the um, prosthetics that he's got on, and he's also in full police gear as well. Um, I've never seen anything like this. Like I've yeah. never seen a, a blend of I guess the world that we recognize as our own and this very 
very much a, a high concept, high fantasy. Yeah, I mean, the only times I've ever seen it done, it's always set in a distant future. Yeah, where technology yeah. is the allegory or the the parallel with magic. Yeah, and that way you can play it out. But in this one, it's it's very much a contemporary setting. Yeah. With this sort of fantasy overlay, but and not a fantasy overlay, which is a world which is hidden from from view, no, no, no. which it's, again it's, is done uh, in these urban fantasy books. This is very much it is in your face, it's out there, and yeah. having having to deal with it is a problem. Now, the the main crux of the the story is that they discover a magic wand which has the ability mm. to grant wishes, mm. and then all of a sudden you have this confluence of people who want this incredibly powerful device, yeah, uh, trying to murder and steal and then obviously that's where the conflict of the film comes from i'm actually quite excited about it it, it ticks so many of the boxes that i like mm. that i really i really hope it's done well that's my kind of hope too because i can't tell from this trailer what it's going to be like it's 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 the kind of concept that it sort of skates on the edge of being absolutely amazing and compelling or utterly ridiculous and stupid in every possible way um so netflix <laughs> guys has, has netflix done i mean the pedigree of films that i've seen of netflix have been all the adam sandler the hateful eight yeah uh, kevin james is a actually a spy it was like confessions of a tr- real life I'm i can't remember sure, whatever just like the the film the original films that they churn out mm. are poor yeah and i i was having this discussion the other day with a friend talking about um when Netflix revives an old TV show of some kind, I can't think of a single example of one that's done really well or is actually any good. So the first one they did was Arrested Development. Yeah, I don't that, really want to talk about season four because I no, don't like it. No, because I don't like it either. Did uh, they do Fuller House? They did Fuller House, which no one liked. Um, they're doing... They did Daredevil. And not saying it's a, a, a reworking of an uh, old TV show, but there was the Ben Affleck film. Yeah, but... Um, and the first season of Daredevil, which is the only one that I've watched, was kind of incredible. I don't think that counts. I think it needs to be sort of a direct continuation or set in the same unit. If they're in the same universe yeah. as a previous uh, a previous version or previous incarnation. And yeah, I couldn't think of anything that they've done that's been any good. And yet, we all love Netflix. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've done Stranger Things. They did, yeah. uh, I'm not sure if Making a Murderer was a Netflix original, but definitely yeah. uh, debuted on that. Mm. Um, they have, yeah, they have they have a good pedigree when you look at the cream of the crop, but when you yeah. sort of like scrape off the cream and look underneath, <laughs> there seems to be a bit of curdled milk. Yeah. So you never know. It, it, this this could be one or the other. Bright, the Will Smith Bright could be the cream that rises to the top or the curdled but, milk yeah, beneath. That, that, yeah. Um, and I feel as though it's it's not going to fit in between because I think it can really only be one of the one or the other. Yeah. So. Well, we'll see. Um, I don't know when it comes out. Watch the trailer. December, I think it said. Maybe. Oh, really? Um, okay. So not too far away. Who knows? It may appear on on an episode of this podcast. But maybe not for reasons that you may be thinking. Um, all maybe, right, or maybe it will. So, s- speaking of segways, yes. Uh, um, no, speaking of supernatural blended with uh, urban environments, Ooh, I yeah, don't know. in the real world, yes. Yeah, uh, twenty sixteen Ghostbusters yeah. is the film that we watched this week, and this was a uh, suggestion from you, AJ. I, I did actually already watch this film uh, last year when it was released yes. on uh, Blu-ray, uh, not at the movies, and. Uh, and I hadn't seen it. Hadn't seen it at, at all. all. Um, and I- after the debacle, which was last week's Pirates of the Caribbean, I mean, I do. I'm going to apologise to all of our listeners out there. We spent an hour 
kind of whinging about how bad that film was because it was just a bad film. Like, it was really bad. And normally yep. we do try and make uh, a few more jokes in there and uh, have a few more sort of, like, uh, yeah, we needed grounds some... that we can play around with. Yeah. So we decided that, you know, this week we'll choose a film which was reasonably well uh, critically received. Yeah. It should be a little bit more enjoyable Solid, and uh, yeah. have a bit more fun watching it. Solid 75% on Rotten Yeah, something Tomatoes, like 7.3 on yeah. IMDb or something around those that's lines. That's not bad. That's, that's pr- a, pretty solid that's for what is ostensibly a comedy. So yeah, Particularly after all the, um, and I suppose we should reference this at the top, the, the controversy that came out when the casting for that film was, was announced. It was announced, yeah. Um, which was stupid. I mean, look, I'll, I'll yeah. put it out there now. That that controversy was so. I mean, ridiculous. The the controversy you're talking about is that it wasn't going to be an all female yeah. reboot of yeah. Ghostbusters. Mm. And I mean, there was always probably going to be uh, some backlash when you hear that a studio is remaking such an iconic film as yeah. uh, Ghostbusters. But then that it was going to be an all female reboot, people were just like, oh, you can't do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. No. Uh, I kind of feel like making it an all-female reboot is almost like pushing it too far. I mean, not too far in that I kind of feel like any film, you should be able to write a script and take any character mm. and flip a coin and that character should be able to be played by a man or woman. If, if the film's written well, yeah. then it doesn't matter what the gender of any of the roles should be. Yeah. They're really just people... Uh, acting and behaving in an, an environment um, it shouldn't matter like if, if you're um, what was going to be a lead female and a lead male both happen to be lead males you still play it out they can still have the same romantic interests yep. they, um, there, there shouldn't be any um, it, it shouldn't be noteworthy whether a character yeah. is a male or a female gender doesn't make uh, it, any it, difference it should be it should be arbitrary but yep. like obviously when you, you go well instead of making it arbitrary, we're going to push completely the other way and make it all female, I think is actually making a statement. And, and that's why they've done it. They've done it to um, to make a statement. Yeah. Just go, well, all the best roles or all the uh, high leading, high profile roles are filled by men. Um, yep. Let's do something that's all female. And I think it should be, I think what we should have is somewhere in the middle yeah. where it's it doesn't matter one way or the other. Mm. Obviously, because we're so skewed on one side of the uh, the table at the moment, mm. uh, pushing the envelope all the way to the other side and making something that is like completely gender imbalanced in the other side is is the way to go uh, to actually bring it to the forefront and, and make yeah. it a, a topic of conversation, which is what they've done. Because I could almost argue that the 1984 Four, four original yeah. could be done by... A mixed cast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and you can sort of say Bill Murray's character and that is a little bit, well, he is a, is a, a bit of a sleaze in it. He's a chauvinist and he's very, in, a lot of, yeah. in a lot of moments as well. Uh, but the rest of the cast, really, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. And not saying that women can't be chauvinist pigs as well. Like, I mean, you know, well, yeah. e- equal rights for all. Yeah, and there's some odd moments in this film. In this one where Kristen Wiig... doesn't really address no. any imbalance at all. It, it just makes it worse. Yes. Um, but anyway, let's let's not quite get into that. So tell yet. me, AJ. Yes. How do you feel about this film? How was your overall wow. experience watching should we, Ghostbusters? Should we race? Uh, I think we need a new rating system, right? So last week, uh, I'm pretty sure I mentioned on the podcast that it was... So far, three episodes in, the worst film we'd watched. And I believe we brought up the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as well. Right. So I propose a new rating system um, based on Crystal Skull or Dead Men Tell No Tales. Right. I mean, we could have a leaderboard. Like, actually have okay, have yeah. every film that we, we have, or we might put up somewhere on a website, yep. ranked from top to bottom. And every week, obviously, a new film will slot in there somewhere. Yep. And we can go... 
does this sit between uh you know the lost world and yep. dead men tell or does it fit up or, or above or below so yeah um we only have three on the board so far. Well, we have three, and also Crystal Skull is Crystal that Skull is the, the never, never, unaired pilot yeah. that we might go to say. We uh, might, if we're desperate one day and we really hate ourselves, we might watch that and do an episode on it, but let's hope it never comes to that. Um, I... When you have to pause the film to go outside and throw a ball around because you're that angry and that bored by a film... You know it's never going to end well. Um, this exceeds... This is far worse than Pirates 5. I'm sorry. I hated it. Um, it. It. Nothing about it was redeeming. Uh, one thing was redeeming about it. The visual effects. The style oh, the, of the yeah. ghosts and the um, effects from the proton packs. I really liked do it. Do we want to start with the one redeeming feature? <laughs> Because if we do, there's a there's a lot of muck to get through. We will. Okay. So yeah, I, I think that's a, that is actually a really good place to start because, as you mentioned, the visual effects are are, are astounding. Like the, the first ghost that you see in the mansion yeah. looks beautiful. There's a nice sort of flowingness to the to yeah. the material, a glow to it. The overlay of the, like the ribs underneath the dress. Yeah. Um. It's it's co- um composed well within the live action and yeah. what CG um looks fantastic and it really kind of just. Um, stays the course from there. Mm. Normally you see like one or two really good special effects shots at the start of the film mm. and then they don't spend as much money on the other ones. But yep. for the most part, uh, the rest of the the ghosts and the apparitions look fantastic. There's these moments where there's mirrors all around this room and mm. behind the mirrors are people uh, like glowing green spectral uh uh, creatures ghosts, pushing yeah. against the glass and it looks it looks really good like we i think we t- discussed it it's probably done with um actual people in suits yeah. uh blended with some sort of computer graphics which are then mm. um uh composited into the uh the mirrors and the effects look great there's a few really bad oh, special there's, there's effects definitely shots, some bad special effects but shots but i think what we're trying to say for the is most part the the design and the aesthetics yeah. behind all of the special effects is kind of the really, really well done it's, yeah. it's beautifully done um it's it's um, it deserves to be in a better film. Yeah, for sure. And even you mentioned the the proton packs and the design of yeah. the the costumes there, which are practical um, props. Mm. Also, like, yeah, because it, it's sort of one of those things. And we we happen upon this because this film makes a lot of references to the original um, in very very unsubtle ways. But the design of the proton packs and the beam that they generate, and even the design of the ghosts, do recall the original film, but are also their own thing. And I think that's a great thing to have rather than all the other references which just blatantly say, hey, remember that thing you liked yeah. back in 84? Well, we're doing it here too for no reason. Um, so yeah, have have a look at the uh, art direction of <laughs> Ghostbusters because it's really good. All right. So we tried something last week which uh, didn't quite work because we went off on a lot of tangents, but it's the two-minute recap. Yeah, but there's a reason why that didn't work last there, week. Yes, we need to- because because the, the structure of Pirates jumped all over the place that it was impossible to tell a coherent recap of the plot <clears> of the film. Yeah. Do you reckon you can do this in two oh, minutes? I, I can't. I'm, or would you like to me to give I'm it a, a crack this week? I'm a rambling mess. I would like you to give it a crack. All right. All right, here we go. Uh, and your time starts now. 
so we f- start off with a um an apparition in a ha- house it's a, a ghost that attacks Zach Woods I love Zach Woods mm-hmm. he's great in the film mm-hmm. um we're introduced to the character of Kristen Wiig who is trying to make a name for herself as a reputable uh physicist mm-hmm. uh she's got a, a great big uh meeting where she's presenting to a, a class and it could be her step up in the world yep. um unbeknownst to her uh Melissa McCarthy who um, 10 years ago or way back in their past they were a team who investigated the paranormal they uh, um, published a book together mm-hmm. and now the book is surfacing it's ruining Kristen uh, Wiig's career because she's trying to be serious uh, she goes to c- confront Melissa McCarthy they then go off onto a chase and see a ghost Kristen Wiig sees the ghost and she's like I see a ghost I see a ghost I believe in ghosts uh, it goes on YouTube her career's ruined Melissa McCarthy's career's ruined and suddenly they're at square one and they start a business to investigate the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Uh, paranormal events are happening all around uh, New York. Yep. Uh, we learn that this is because uh, this one character is leaving these <clears throat> electronic devices around, yep. which are calling forth spirits. Uh, the team assembles, which has uh, Kate McKinnon as a wacky scientist and Leslie Jones as a ticket booth operator in a subway who gets sort of jumps in for no apparent reason to the group yep. uh, she has a weird knowledge of the history of new york which doesn't really play a hand in the <laughs> film so much which is kind of a weird affectation yep. they hire an incredibly uh good looking chris hemsworth to be their receptionist mm-hmm. but who is incredibly dopey yep. um and then uh the main crux of the film is that every time they uh, save the city from a ghost. The mayor and his department work very hard to discredit the ghost as being true mm. and say, why are you being fraudulent about this? Yep. Until uh, finally, in the big scene where the guy who's been d- releasing devices all around the city opens up a nexus portal into the uh, spirit, spirit world yep. to break down the barrier and allow spirits to enter our world so he can be all-powerful. Yep. They, um, they drive just- the Ecto-1 into the portal, blow it up, and seal the hole and save the day and everyone loves them because the Ghostbusters saved New York. Great. That was just just over two minutes, but that's fine. Now, if that plot sounds eerily familiar but mostly very vaguely rambling, uh, let me rephrase that. If that plot sounds somewhat familiar, it's because it's, it's basically a retelling of the 1984 film. Exactly. Uh, and it even shows that at the end, there's an in, there's a, a credit note that says based, based on, on the 1984 film by Dan Aykroyd and uh, Harold Ramis. So, I mean, this is an interesting point of uh, conversation which I'd like to touch on, and is it's how Hollywood does reboots and how they go about um, uh, taking an existing intellectual property mm. and um, rebranding it or recasting it or whatever. So, in, in this one, which really kind of annoyed me, it is uh, in an independent world from the world of Ghostbusters 1 and 2. Yeah. Like, it's taken the name Ghostbusters, it's taken the concept of Ghostbusters, mm. but just said, we have pretty much nothing to do with the events that happened in 1984 and 1988, I think the second one was. Yep. Um, so, the world is not aware of ghosts, the world is not aware of Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. uh, and so everything that they're doing is new and fresh. And I kind of, I get that as a reboot strategy, mm-hmm. but what it does for the film is it gives the film a target to hit midway through the film, which is we need four people to have come together Mm -hmm. with scientific equipment whose sole purpose is to go around busting ghosts. Mm. They need to be called the Ghostbusters. 
Yep. They need to have a branded logo of a ghost in a red circle with a line through it. Yep. And they need to drive a wacky looking station wagon with flashing lights with flashing on the top. Lights and and, they and need- because they've been they're <clears throat> put in these strict uh, parameters of what has to happen mm. to hit the notes which we know from the Ghostbusters. Mm. Uh, you, you, I think you mentioned earlier, you hit these really weird moments, which are these weird fan service moments. There's one where um, there's a graffiti artist in a subway station yep. who is drawing a picture of a ghost and uh, Leslie Jones says, we don't want no pictures of ghosts. And he's like, okay. And then he draws a circle around it with a line through it. And it's like, yep. oh, that's going to be our logo. Yep. And uh, again, Leslie Jones's uncle is a mortician, so he has a hearse. Mm. And he says, I can borrow a hearse, which is where they get that sort of station wagon looking yeah. um, yep. uh, Ecto-1 mm. ghost mobile. Um, and so it, it just becomes this sort of strange series of events, which are heading towards a target that you know they're trying to hit mm. rather than the story uh, unraveling as it, yeah, naturally it, would nothing naturally progresses along plot points in this film it's just they've got a bunch of components and they need to string them together and all those components have been mined from the original film yeah uh, and all they've done is written some well not even written half the time i'm, I'm assuming that most of the film was improvised let's, let's not get into the improv comedy because that's a, another <laughs> massive topic of uh conversation which it we is. need to have later on which is a flaw with the film yes but They've got all these milestone moments and all they've done is written some really tenuous and very weak uh, bridging segments to connect them all together. Yeah, I think uh, what I would have rather it had seen was a film set in the same world as the 1984 Ghostbusters okay. where potentially... So like a Ghostbusters 3. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not necessarily a Ghostbusters 3, but you can you can set it in a world where potentially New York has really kind of forgotten about the threat of ghosts because... Okay. Yep. Um, it's been 20 years since the last outbreak and, mm. and it's sort of faded from people's memory. You might even have something which is like some one of the, the effects of what's going on is people have forgotten about this thing mm. and a new group of people need to rise up to bring it to the forefront. Um, well, not even bring it to the forefront. They Maybe the threat starts reappearing again. Uh, and, um, you know, this once dormant threat has now come back out. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's it's be... someone else's job to take over the mantle yeah. because it's been yeah. it's been too long. And I mean, that's one way of doing a reboot and I get that you're they have chose to do it a different way and that's I mean generally fine, but if you're going to sort of uh whitewash what's already there and build your own thing upon it, there's no need to hit so many of those fan service moments yeah. which really kind of railroad you into taking a film in a certain direction. There's, they- there's so many ways that you could have done it differently. Mm without telling the same story, without hitting the same beats. Yeah. And I think uh, it's it's a weird thing for the audience. Uh, and I think I mentioned this to you while we were watching it. Seeing all these um, direct uh, references to the original film. So there's a, a point where they visit the the firehouse yes. that they used as a headquarters in the original. Uh, there was the, the logo bit in the subway, as you mentioned. Um and various other... Well, the Slimer shows up. Slimer shows up. The original cast is also in there yes. playing other characters. Scattered. And obviously- yeah, I mean, that's another way of saying that that world doesn't exist. Because if Bill Murray can show up and play some um, incredulous professor who doesn't believe that mm. what the, these people are doing is true, it means that, well, Bill Murray then doesn't exist as... Um, that's right, uh, yeah. ...the character from the original film. And it, it- uh, Dan Aykroyd shows up as a taxi driver. He was never a Ghostbuster 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ernie Hudson... Ernie Hudson, yeah. ...shows up as the uncle of Leslie Jones, who's a mortician, and it's just... Yeah, and Annie, Annie Potts... As the a, receptionist. As a, as a receptionist in I, a hotel. I think Sigourney Weaver's even in 
the post-credit yeah. uh, scenes, which is a weird place for her to make her uh, appearance. And but Rick Romanis, Rick Moranis was at it, home making an album. Uh, uh, he's not in the film. No, uh, I think I think I really think he lives like a, a quiet life in like does, a mountain yeah. he does. village somewhere. Ah, uh, Rick Moranis. <sighs> anyway, um, the I find that these kind of references really pull you out of the film. Um, it, it's sort of like seeing. It's that annoying thing. It's the Stan Lee effect. So every Marvel film and every comic book that he's been a part of that's been turned into a film, he'll appear in it playing some kind of wacky character for a moment. Um, and it's just a little Easter egg for the fans. So, And, I mean, they pull you out of it because this world that the film has constructed that um, uh, where these things are happening then asks you to... Uh, then bashes you over the head with the knowledge that Stan Lee is in it. Right now, that's fine in the context of a Marvel film where that only happens for like five seconds. Yeah, in the five seconds two, every film in the middle of a two-hour film. But in Ghostbusters, it happens constantly. But, so you, but you can see the story driving towards these moments yeah, as well. Yeah, which is yeah, it's like it's dragging them in. It's dragging the story along rather than these sort of like little cut cutaway bits and pieces. Yeah, and it just or like little hidden Easter eggs sort of in the background that uh, a, a very observant fan might be able to see and, and sort of see where they've dropped in a little cute reference. But these are very blatant uh, and all they serve to do is to pull you out of the world and the story that this film is is presenting to you and bash you over the head and say, hey, remember that 1984 film that you enjoyed so much? Remember that thing yeah. that was just a massive part of your childhood? Well, here's a thing that was in it enjoy so i mean while they while they create these really awkward moments within the film which only really serve to drag you out of it and sort of derail what could be quite a clean telling of a very sort of uh if they're just retelling ghostbusters there's a pretty Mm -hmm. linear progression that they can make there for that story but instead they drag you out but it's still not the worst part about the film and you touched on this earlier Mm. it's the comedy that is the worst part of this film and I mean, the 1984 Ghostbusters, at its core, was a sort of a supernatural urban uh, action adventure kind of thing. Yeah. And it happened to be written by comedians, and it happened to have comedians in it. Mm. And they definitely imbued a sense of comedy into the film, but it wasn't a comedy It's film. not a comedy, no. This quite clearly is a comedy. Yeah. It's so clear that it's a comedy that every single bit character role is <laughs> either played by an ex-Saturday Night Live alum or it's played by a, a stand-up comedian Some, or someone yeah, or was, one of Paul Feig's friends from yeah. some comedy show. And it, you can never get a sense that the world is real. No. Because... The FBI agents are comedians. The yep. um, valets are comedians. The, the dean of the of dean of the school, is, school is Jimmy Fallon's sidekick, and and I, it's it's yeah. At no point do you realize? Do you think that these are actually characters in a in a in a film? And they they all have to do their own little bit. So there's a bit where oh, the, yeah. the uh, FBI agent goes to open the car and it's locked, and he has to tap on the window. And then as he's driving away, he does yeah. the thing where he points to his eyes and then points to their eyes. As I'm watching you, I'm like, you're you're supposed to be an FBI agent, you're not supposed to be like a goofy side character. You're not yeah. supposed to do things, these lighthearted moments. It, the only way you would do that is if you didn't exist in the real world as a person who held this position or had this job. Yeah, And it's, it's odd. I mean, you could, let's talk about improv for a sec, right? So you would assume that this is that kind of same improv style comedy that Judd Apatow films have sort of be, uh, become known for and Paul Feig and, and, 
that sort of zany, wacky, dialogue-heavy based improvised humour where they just make up something on the spot. Yeah, they have a rough outline of how a scene's going to go and yeah. they just say to either Melissa McCarthy or Kristen Wiig or, or Will, Will Ferrell, Ferrell if he's around, uh, yeah. I think we did the bit last week where Will Ferrell shows up and he wants the script and they yeah. say, no, just make something no, that's up. Fine. Just make it up. Yeah, so uh, it, it feels very much like that that sort of thing. It's just like, oh, just say something random. Just say something a bit stupid or funny or yeah. silly and we'll cut that scene around that goof or gag that you're doing yep. and try and have it some semblance of... Um, but it's not even how improv is supposed to work. No. Like, improv is meant to be you establish a character... And you play around within that character and within its uh, within that character's personality and how they would react to the the world around them. You don't just randomly spout stuff that might be funny. It might be a funny line. It might be a funny fart joke, or it might be uh, a fart a, jokes and dick like, jokes and it's sort you know of, yeah. like let's make a crack about someone's virginity or or how they live in their mother's basement or something because that's funny and that's improvised. Like we didn't write that down. Oh, look at us on the no, on the set but- being all funny and random. No, you you establish a character. Um, and then the humor comes out of placing that character in odd situations, which is essentially how Ghostbusters won the original worked. Whereas there's, there's several moments in this film, um, and I'll take the example, uh, Kristen Wiig's character is having an argument with her boyfriend, and they're essentially breaking up. Mm. And they, it's almost the first moment in the, in the movie where you get a sense that this relationship is real, because beforehand it's these weird sort of quirky moments where she goes to kiss him on the lips and he kind of like turns away and says hello to someone that he hasn't seen before, as, as if to say, yeah, this is a dysfunctional relationship. Yep. And they finally put these characters in a situation where they're having a meaningful talk about um, uh, how he treat, treated her and how she hid her, uh, her past from him. Mm. And you're about to get into this moment where these characters are actually going to have an argument. And instead... They, they, cut they cut away, away to Leslie Jones and Melissa McCarthy talking about how they think he dances. Yeah, and how like, hot he is. Yeah, and, and he's just like, oh, I bet he doesn't even move his hips. I yeah. bet it's all... Eh, eh, eh. And she's just like, nah, he can pop and lock. And it's like, there's this improvised scene where, you know what? You know the script writers didn't do it. They just said to these two funny people, just have a conversation about a mocking this other character yeah. and see where it goes. Yeah. And instead of playing out a scene which has real character development and emotion to it, they cut away to these improvised scene of these people just talking garbage. Mm. And and that's... They do it so many times. Again, they do. the first time we meet, meet Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig comes in angry at her for ruining her career. Mm. Melissa McCarthy's like, you abandoned our dream of hunting ghosts. There's supposed to be real tension. And the scene is about wanton soup. Like yeah. a, 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 a Chinese delivery... Um, uh, fast food delivery person comes in and brings her soup and it doesn't have enough wontons in it and they talk about that for five minutes of the scene instead of establishing character and relationship and tension which they can bring into other scenes in the film they go off and do these stupid gags that have nothing to do with anything I need to go back to that scene with Kristen Wiig and her boyfriend as well because uh, you know at its most mildest it's sort of like well that you've taken away a dramatic moment at its worst though it actually really impacts the value of Kristen Wiig's character in that film uh, because the argument starts with her being in the right. So she gets fired from her university job and while she's walking out of the place with her box of, 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 um, of stuff, her boyfriend completely ignores her while she's going through this very humiliating walk to the exit. And so she comes at that argument initially from the, a position of strength, right? Her boyfriend has done something pretty crappy um, so not only do they not show any of that fight to give her character 
uh, a sense of power and a sense of of being and and um and give her dramatic purpose they cut away to do some crappy gags when they've done that the argument is essentially finished and then there's this really stupid moment where she turns to go back to the car and the crew starts driving off without her and she tries to get in and they drive off and then they stop and then she tries to get in again and then they stop and and it's like so you've just what you've done there is you've taken her character from being someone who is strong someone who's confronting a problem and just turned her into nothing you've defeated her you've you've taken away her agency at that point you've given her no um no positive attributes you've just turned her into a laughing stock for no reason and it's why and from an audience point of view why would i now care about her you've not shown me anything so what it, what it really comes down to is that the characters that are presented can't exist in the real world as they are. No. They're too stupid. They're too silly. They act in childish ways which don't make any sense to the context of what's going on. Yep. You mentioned Kristen Wiig getting fired in this humiliating moment where she has to carry a box full of her things mm. out of her office. Yep. And as she's walking down the corridor, she makes these little quips to everyone. She's like, oh, I'm just taking my plant for a walk. It needs some fresh air. Yep. Oh, I like lifting all my stuff. Occasionally, I just take everything out of my office and back again and it's good exercise and like no one in this situation which is a quite a humiliating situation would act in this way mm. except as we you <laughs> pointed out during this film which so, i think is on. before we do let's introduce a new a new segment to this podcast segment, yeah. uh which we're going to call fan stories fan, fan theories, fan theories. I, I think this is a little different to a fan theory is i think it? this is a, a recontextualization but i like well, i like the fan name. theory i will call it a fan theory i think that works quite well because we'll be doing fan theories in the future for for other other films yep so aj what is your fan theory for ghostbusters my fa- <laughs> my fan theory well let's like, okay my fan theory is that the uh main ghostbusters team are actually 10-year-old kids. 10-year-old girls. If they're, And if you think about the entire film uh, with the context that these characters are 10 years old, the film is amazing. So so the events happened to 10-year-old girls and they are retelling the story. To a bunch. I- I- yeah. Embellishing the details, uh, which is why they appear as older and more mature than they are. Yep. But in actual fact, these are... These are they're 10-year-olds. Um, children. Yep. yep. And and it it, re, it, it explains it so explains much. Explains why the they act like children in these scenarios, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. It it, it uh, explains their behavior, yep. their lack of actual character development or relationship, because you can go from a fight to being best friends with people yep. in a matter of uh, seconds. That's what ten year olds do. Um, uh, it also explains how um, all the other people uh, that they encounter treat them. Treat them, yeah. They treat them like children. So Andy Garcia is in this film for some reason. He hasn't uh, quite become the president. He hasn't quite yet become that we president. Know from Storm. Uh, but he's working. He was mayor of New York. Exactly. Right? You've, got to, step- you've got to work your way you've up. Work you've got to start up. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's mayor of New York, uh, and he talks down to, the, to them when they're talking about how ghosts are a thing and New York is on the verge of uh, a cataclysmic event, and he's like, "Oh, it's it's fine. You know, we're looking after it. Uh, the government's here, and they're sorting it all out." Exactly the way that an adult would talk down to a ten-year-old child. Yeah. Um, so, and even even the visual effects, right? So the visual effects in this film are very bright, yep, very colorful, colorful, very exaggerated, super saturated, exaggerated, and they the design of them is almost how a child might describe a ghost if they had never seen one before. Um, 
you know, they're, they're see-through. You can see the skeletons and it's kind of gross and they're all wispy. There's icky, and they're gooey really, slime that slime slimes on me all the time. Um, um, there's even, I mean, there's even a moment where they're recounting the, how they met and you see a photograph of both Melissa McCarthy's character and yep. Kristen Wiig's character as children. Yep. And I kind of feel as though that's who they are. Yeah. They are the people... Uh, who are actually going through these yeah. events. And uh, to, to make it, I mean, believable, they'd have to be incredibly intelligent people to, to come up with the... Yeah, but are they? I, I mean, t- just to come up with the technology behind the, the fighting of the yeah, ghosts. But what if we assume that these 10-year-olds are just retelling a story that they've made up, right? Like, it's a campfire story, or it's like, you know, they've gone away to camp. It's summer camp. Um, these four girls have gone away to camp. They're all friends, uh, but they don't know anyone else at this at this camp. And so to get in with the, like, the cool crowd uh, around the campfire, they're telling this story of, like, this time they went to New York and uh, we totally, totally took out an army of ghosts. Um, And then they're just, like, they freewheel it from there. So they're just, like, constantly, like, coming up with... uh, Oh, and then... um, uh, And then we went down in the subway and um, this, like... Um, prisoner ghost came out and he had chains everywhere and then there was a subway train coming towards us and we we used our special weapons but um they got they got destroyed by by the the subway because we were like oh my god we're gonna die but we got pulled out just in time by <laughs> like oh it was crazy it um, is i mean if the only the only way that you can i think watch this film and and have these characters believable in the universe is to recontextualize them yeah. as children all and- you need is the all you need to fix this film is a couple of scenes inter intersliced throughout where they cut to that campfire and there's four 10 <laughs> year old girls, girls telling, telling the story, the story. Uh, and it would be perfect right it would explain everything <laughs> all the stupidity of this film would be Absolutely Just the fine. dancing montages. Like, yeah, is, is there anything other than a 12-year-old girl who would have put four <laughs> separate dancing montages in this film? Yeah. And speaking of the dancing montage, we're going to go back to something that showed up in The Mummy and there's some, something <laughs> that showed up in Pirates of the Caribbean, which is just the magic magical powers. powers. And and uh, so Chris Hemsworth's character uh, gets possessed at one stage mm-hmm. um, by the antagonist ghost and well, suddenly has a yeah. bizarre assortment of... Of uh, powers. magic powers, mm. including being able to mind control an entire army yep. to essentially do like the Michael Jackson thriller dance. Well, they, were doing st- st- no, they were doing "Staying Alive." Weren't they? Stay- That's a yeah, Bee Gees song. Yeah, but I think I think they had that you know the arms in the, the air, kind of with like, the, yeah, yeah, and they were frozen there in that stance, and it's just sort of like. No ghost had this power before, yeah. and if you have the power to mind control people, why are you not mind controlling the Ghostbusters to freeze in place like yeah. you've done with everyone else? It just becomes this bizarre assortment of powers that they give characters to make scenes work, which if the character actually had those powers would just defeat the good guys in a, in I, a snap of the fingers. Exactly. It's just, it's, it is absolutely crazy that this keeps showing up in films time and time again. Yeah. And, and the, the range of powers that he has as a ghost are difficult enough to, to overcome anyway. Yeah. The only reason to have the mind control powers is to do another dance scene, yeah, another I dance sequence just... montage. They have one that they move into the office. Um, 
And I think uh, they it's like a Bell Biv DeVoe thing where yeah. uh, Kate McKinnon sort of dancing around with blowtorches and th- setting things on fire. They have another one where Mil- Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig are recounting the story of how they met, met and they're doing like a dance yeah, routine for the like, presentation. It's, it's a high school project. Um, they have another yeah. one after they capture their first ghost for the first time. Oh, yeah, and it's a great big celebration one. of yeah. them sort of dancing around. And then they do another one at the end, which is the mind control thing. Yeah. We've had enough dance montage. You don't need to give the ghost it's- another magic power just so you can throw another one in there it doesn't make any sense and this is the whole comedy bit this is why this film feels more like a comedy than anything else because the original Ghostbusters feels like it it happens in our world so people react responsibly or people react in a way that you might assume people might react in that in a similar situation so there's panic in the streets um there's this plucky group of four um Ghostbusters who uh, slightly in over their heads a lot of the time. Um, there's a the proliferation of the news that ghosts exist and a part of the world happens naturally, and because people are seeing it for themselves, um, and that's not in this film at all. Like it's just a bunch of none of these pe- none of the people in this film feel like they exist in the real it's, world. It's almost the opposite of. Instead of um, panic in the streets and the proliferation of the news, mm. it, it is the opposite. It's the people it is, living yeah. in constant denial of what is real is actually there yeah. and constantly trying to prove that these videos which have been shot and uploaded mm. to YouTube are fake. And I, I get, uh, from a story point of view, that's an interesting take on it. It's like, instead of the Ghostbusters being revered, they are constantly up against people who are calling them fraudulent. And it's an interesting take on it, but I don't think they do any justice to that sort of side of the story. Oh, not even slightly. Because no. um, there are literally thousands of witnesses uh, about three quarters of the way through the film before the big sort of cataclysmic event who have seen ghosts, who have seen the things that they're doing, and yet they're constantly like being called frauds. It's like you four people are making these stories up. It's like, yeah, but what about the hundreds of witnesses at the rock concert which saw this happen or the dozens of people at the train station who saw this other ghost or yeah. uh, it just but it's the, it's the 10 year old girl thing right like oh it, like the adults didn't believe us at all exactly um, it's it's that right it's the trying to sort of give these groups uh, this group of characters um, putting them in a position of of uh, putting them on a lower plateau than everyone else um, and and expecting the audience to give them sympathy because of it, or to uh, identify with them because no one believes them, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't feel yeah. genuine at all. So, so do you have any other fan theories about this? Because I have, I had an idea. Okay. Uh, when uh, Slimer gets ripped back into the portal, yep, um, and is going through space, and you can quite clearly see there's, um, it's a a, a, a wormhole which is connecting two realities, yep. right, two yep. planes. Mm. I was like, what if that wormhole takes him back to 1984 ah. and these these two worlds exist? They're, they are the two planes and yeah. they're constantly sending ghosts from one side to the other uh, back in time. Yep. And and that's the... I mean, I'm, I, what I'm trying to do is marry the two universes so together. So do you reckon they've sent through Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Ernie... Hudson. Hudson. Um, and possibly, all those characters through. Possibly, yeah. Just just to try and make um, the, the female Ghostbusters think what they're doing is wrong. Because the more ghosts that they send back through the portal, yeah, the worse it, the, is. The worse oh, it gets on gosh, that side. Right. So it's just, they're trying to send ghosts That's back and it, forth. Yeah. And it's, it's bouncing between these two worlds. So they've, yeah. So, okay. So after Ghostbusters 2, 
the Ghostbusters all got together and thought, we can't let this happen again. And we know that there's a portal to some other world, some other dimension yes. uh, where these things are coming from. And it's actually leading to an alternate, an reality, alternate reality, New York, New York, 2016. And there's a, okay, that works. And so the, the original Ghostbusters say, right, we have to just keep sending yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a war between the world because only one of those two worlds can survive, right? Yeah. So one that, of those two worlds has to host the yeah. uh, that's right, the apparitions, yeah. Yeah. and and which one is it going to be? Which one is it? So, and that means so in Ghostbusters two, there's a isn't there a bit where, or am I thinking of Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> I'm I was almost certain there's a bit where like the world in the second Ghostbusters starts to become more like the parallel universe where the ghosts are coming from? I Look, I, I in my head, I'm playing out, I think in the Ghostbusters animated series, <laughs> there's a bit where Slimer gets sucked into yep. the the storage area where all the uh, yeah. all the ghosts are kept and he has to live in this sort of nether realm oh, yeah. between the two. And that's what's playing maybe, in my head. Maybe so. it's not even that. Maybe the, the containment system contains the entire other reality. Right? So it's a weird kind of like nested universe idea. Do you remember that episode of Futurama where Farnsworth creates a box containing a parallel universe and then the universe in there creates a box containing their universe? I don't specifically. Well, you do now. So he (laughs) creates a cardboard box that contains an entire parallel universe um, with all these weird versions of themselves in it. And simultaneously, they create a box containing uh, the original universe as well. So, so it's like an Ouroboros snake eating its own yeah, tail. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe that's what happened. Maybe the 1984 Ghostbusters accidentally created a parallel universe where um, the uh, where Kristen Wiig and, and Melissa McCarthy exist. Uh, and simultaneously in that universe, they, they created, created the, the 1984 because universe really, as well. The, I mean, the only constant between those two universes, I mean, we do have Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, but is Slimer. Yeah. And Slimer exists as like a courier between the two worlds right. going back and forth. The, he bridges the world. And it actually yeah. brings up uh, another segment that we're going to try and introduce this week, <laughs> which is uh, fun movie facts. <laughs> and you actually you actually brought up an actual fun movie fact I about did? Slimer, which uh, I wasn't oh, aware. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so... Slimer is based on John Belushi. Oh, it's specifically Bluto from Animal Bluto House. Bluto from I Animal believe. House, yeah. So, uh, and now Dan Aykroyd actually refers to Slimer as the ghost of John Belushi. Um, so the design of Slimer is sort of meant to mirror Bluto from Animal House and, and obviously by extension Belushi. Um, so, and obviously Belushi died in 1982, 82, which was, yeah. uh, and uh, Ghostbusters was 1984. So. Mm. There's that sort of like, and obviously uh, having uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and um, those original Saturday Night Live cast members mm. being such a close knit group, it's sort of becomes almost an homage to to their friends yep. through this um, through this character who mm. again is like the only ghost that they don't try and like like leave in that containment unit. They yeah, let him sort of like he, run around. He becomes a kind of friend in the animated series. He's like a friend, exactly, and he get, just gets into silly uh, and he helps shenanigans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is it's almost like being a blood traitor to the other ghosts. Yeah, like, a little bit. He's he's the I don't, I, the 
um, what is it in Inglorious Bastards where you have oh. the 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 one uh, one character, the Jew hunter, or, or <laughs> just like almost like he's 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 the one guy who's betraying his own species to lock away yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, er- eradicate all the other ghosts. So what's his story then? Slimer's story. I don't know because he. Uh, appears as a giant bag of goo, whereas I think in the original Ghostbusters, a lot of the other ghosts are um, anthropomorphic in nature. They are humanoid. Some are humanoid um, and some are... What's, I don't know. I don't know. There's, a, the there's a skeleton at one stage who's a taxi driver, I think. Well, but- yeah, there is, there's a, like, it's a corpse. It's yeah. a, like an actual corpse that's a taxi driver. And I'm like, the, the concept of ghosts in these films don't really make any sense because they become... Fun nope. fact, again, another fun movie fact, that yep. corpse of the taxi driver yep. from Ghostbusters is the cor- Dan Aykroyd, the taxi driver <laughs> from the 2016 one in this uh, Ouroboros uh, ah, cyclical okay. universe. Right. Uh, yeah. So Dan Aykroyd died in the... Yeah, it's in, actually his skeleton. It's actually they, they, a skeleton. They sent it back in time to be used as a prop Oh my gosh. Uh, 20 years before his death. That's... Wow. Oh, of course, that makes sense. It does. It's it's also like they do that a lot in uh, in Hamlet. Uh, yep. You know, because they have a last Yorick and, yeah, yeah, and yep, Hamlet yep. is holding the skull. Mm. A lot of the times, that skull is actually the skull of the actor playing Hamlet in uh, that production. Uh, okay, and they use they use the bone time travel technology <laughs> to send the skull back in time uh, from the future after that actor has already died. Bone time travel technology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's where uh, the B triple tree. Uh, of course, I mean, yeah. you don't you don't believe there's actually dinosaur fossils. That's that's no. From the past, they're actually dinosaurs from the, oh, future, from the future with oh, bone time okay. travel technology. Great. They've come back from the future, um, but they overshot and they ended uh, up right. a long time I'm in the past. I'm about to blow your mind here. So I, I'm certain that I mentioned Super Mario Brothers in this episode, <laughs> talking uh, about how- I think we mentioned it also quite and extensively we in our mentioned first it episode. In, in number one. So what if Super Mario Brothers is the thread that links everything together. I mean, I think we linked like five or six different I, cinematic I just, universes in that one. I, I'm scared to link Ghostbusters into the same thing as well. Don't be scared. Just let it happen. Let it happen, <laughs> man. It's all one big, it's all one big amorphous yeah. mess. And it's, all, <laughs> and it's all Dennis Hopper's fault. And, um, oh my gosh, I've forgotten the actor that played Mario. Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. What a, what a champion. Um, but if we put Super Mario Brothers at the center of all known universes and everything just revolves around it. So Super Mario Brothers is simultaneously the beginning and the end of all life and everything that's ever happened. I mean, do we count our own lives in that too or is it just the cinematic thing? Until the cinematic universe is inextricably linked with I'm going to try again with that word inextricably (laughs) um, linked with uh, our own I, I kind of feel as though I can't mentally link my world to that. I think I'd I'd melt in okay, a ball so of existential <laughs> crisis. <laughs> so that's a step too far. But we can unequivocally state that Jurassic, the Jurassic films, or Jurassic World at the very least, yep. Dawn of the War of the Battle of the, the Planet, Planet of the, of the Apes. Apes. Um, what did we watch today? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I think, did we tie Free Willy into there as well <laughs> at some point? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, because we talked about uh, Barry Nibbles, right? Um, so everything originated from Super Mario Brothers, which has a, a alternate dimension thing where there's a parallel New York uh, inhabited by, um, uh, instead of humans that have evolved from a common ancestor, uh, a common, common primate. Uh, primate, primate ancestor, um, the alternate dimension in Super Mario Brothers has humans that have evolved from a common reptilian uh, ancestor. Um 
So, I mean, this begs the question. Yep. Do we have to link every future film that we watch back into Super Mario <laughs> Brothers? I I, just, I don't I, know. Or or are we going to watch Super Mario Brothers next week? Maybe maybe, maybe. that will be next week's it film. It could be next week's film, yeah. Because it is, it is, it's truly a masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's far better than the one we just watched. All right, so it's agreed that next week we'll be watching Super Mario Super Brothers. Mario's 1992, Two? I think. Somewhere around there. John Leguizama. Yep. I I suppose I now that you say his name, I'm like, yeah, he looks like a Luigi. Sure, <laughs> they could have put him as Luigi. They could have, and they oh, did. It's really kind of weird as well because I'm fairly sure at the end of that film, uh, Princess Peach shows up with like an assault rifle. Yeah, and she says, does. We're gonna have to go make Super Mario Brothers Brothers Two, yep. which just never happened. No, or did it? Maybe every film that is branched off from the Super Mario Brothers universe is Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. I'm so, going to have to get some more data on this because, I mean, I, I believe there's an asteroid at some point. And I, there I, is. I, it, it all revolves around a meteorite I, I, that split the dimensions into two. I mean, you, they say two. It could be could an be infinite split of dimensions. It, it could be, yeah. Oh, this is getting... This is intense. This is intense. Um, Now, well... Okay. All right. I mean, if we've decided on our film for next week, I think we might <laughs> leave it there. Um, lots to think about with Ghostbusters. And again... Um, Don't think about it too much. Just, yeah. We're going to have to, at some stage, watch a movie that we both want to watch. <laughs> it's yeah. both actually good. But, and uh, it's actually decent because this film is horrible. Yes. It's, it's, it's bad. I, I can't, as much as... I'm not going to obviously discredit it because it cast four females as the leads. That doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I would have been quite happy to see it. But the film itself is awful. Yeah. I mean, again, doing a similar thing is the Oceans reboot, right? So Oceans yeah. 8 or whatever they're doing is an all-female recasting of Oceans. And I think yep. um, they are making a lot more effort with that to tie it back into uh, the events or at least the characters they of are. the, um, the Matt, George Clooney yeah, uh, Oceans films. Matt Damon is in... Oceans 8. I okay. don't know to what capacity. And the um uh one of the char- one of the characters in Oceans 8 is actually uh George Clooney's sister. Okay, right. So Danny Ocean's sister. So there is an actual family relationship there. Uh whether or not that actually ends up being um any good remains to be seen. There's obviously no trailers yet. It will be a trailer on the show yes. when it comes out. Uh, I am a massive fan of the Oceans films, particularly the first. The first one only for me. I think that's that's a, a trend where you say you're a f- fan of a film franchise and I say, I'll just take the first take one the first, and yeah. you can have the rest you're of not, them. You're not greedy. Whereas exactly. I am. I am very greedy. Um, is, this, does this, is this the same for Star Wars with you? Do you only like the first? I actually think the first, A New Hope, is yep. uh, the weakest of the original trilogy. Really? I, I, I grew up loving Jedi, but yep. that's because, you know, I mean, you don't notice the Ewoks when you're a eight-year-old mm, kid. Yeah. You just notice Luke Skywalker bouncing around with a lightsaber. So True. Uh, we don't really want to get too deep into Star no, Wars no. talk, so we might because leave then, it here for, uh, it will, for this week. It will get connected to Super Mario Brothers <laughs> oh, that's, at some that's, point. I mean, is, is this the problem? We can, never, we can never watch a film that we love because we'll end up just <laughs> tying the universe into Super Mario Brothers yeah. and it'll be a fractured splinter of what it, uh, its own creativity because it's it's all tied into that one universe. Yep, yep. All right, well, uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. We've been uh, Movie Film Studios. I'm Isaac. And I'm AJ. Roll credits. Roll credits.